Welcome to the Heal Here podcast. I'm your host, Kate Flick, AKA Oracle Lightworker. I'm a Holy Fire 3 Karuna Reiki master teacher and Akashic Records reader. I also happen to be a Gemini, don't judge, a 5-1 emotional manifester and empowered empath. I am literally obsessed with helping you heal and showing you that you are your own best healer. Join me here where we will explore different techniques and modalities and where I will share personal experiences and channel guidance to help support you as you move along the spiritual and healing path. I am so glad you're here. This will be an everlasting love. This will be the one I've waited for. This will be the first time anyone has loved me. I'm so glad you found me in time. And I'm so glad you rectified my mind. This will be the everlasting love for me. Okay, that's enough. (laughs) All right, that is enough of my singing, but a beautiful song by Natalie Cole. This will be, in brackets, an everlasting love. I was actually wondering why that song just popped into my head. And as I was looking at the lyrics, I realized, oh my gosh, this is totally syncing up with today's episode. We're going to be talking about our inner child and as I was singing that, like this will be an everlasting love. It's create like creating that relationship with your inner child, reconnecting with your inner child. And I'm just looking at the lyrics here. This will be an everlasting love. This will be the one I've waited for. This will be the first time anyone has loved me. I'm so glad you found me in time. And I just feel like (laughs) what's coming through now is that your inner child is calling out to you today and looking to be seen, looking to be validated, looking for the love that they may not have received in their childhood. And we're going to get into that because many of us had beautiful childhoods. We felt loved, our physical needs were provided for, but we need to recognize that it's probably, it would have probably been impossible for our parents to meet all of our needs. We're unique individuals. Our parents had their own unresolved trauma. So parents can't always meet all our needs. I'm getting a bit ahead of myself right now, but just looking at these lyrics, I'm seeing the connection. And if we can find that that love, that everlasting love, like with ourself, with all parts of ourself, with our inner child, then we will be able to share love with others more freely and show up as the healthiest version of ourselves in our day-to-day life. Okay, welcome to the Heal Here podcast. My name is Kate Flick, and I don't just do terrible karaoke, (laughs) spiritual karaoke. I also talk about all things healing and spiritual, and I am so glad that you are here today joining me on this path, this spiritual and healing path, because I feel like you can't have one without the other. (laughs) I feel like they're, they're really one and the same. If you are waking up spiritually, then there's healing work to be done. And if you're doing the healing work, you're probably going to be opening up spiritually. Your spiritual awareness, um, is opening up. So they go hand in hand and 
I'm so glad that you found this episode today, found this podcast. And if you are a new listener, I hope you're not deterred by the the bad off-key singing at the beginning, but I always start with some spiritual karaoke with a song that just pops into my awareness. And sometimes the songs have meaning to listeners. I always have people reaching out to me and telling me the significance of certain songs and uh, you know, at the time that they listened, it meant something to them or brought something into their awareness or was a sign or a confirmation for them. And sometimes I find relevance in the lyrics and it, it can kind of uh, coincide with what we're talking about today. And I feel like this everlasting love definitely relates to inner child healing and just connecting with your inner child and offering that child version of yourself unconditional love. This morning I sit here and it is Thursday. <laughs> of course, I'm always recording the day before this podcast goes out. And my oldest daughter just went off to her first day in high school. And I just, oh my gosh, I can't believe it. Like how, I know it's so cliche. It's so, I don't know. Everybody always says like the time goes by so fast and you know, when your kids are little, the days are long, but the years are short. And gosh, I am just feeling that so hard. And I'm like, I can't believe she's going into high school. Like, how did this happen? And what's even stranger is that I'm not going to high school today. And that's something I've done for 20 years is gone, you know, to high school. I shouldn't say maybe it's 19 because I didn't go last September, but I never would have imagined that she would be going off to high school and I wouldn't be going to school to my job as a high school teacher. <laughs> but here I am still on leave from my job and focusing on my spiritual business. And I will admit, I struggled so hard with that last year. Oh my gosh, like it was major FOMO. I found it so uncomfortable and I did not anticipate that because I love my business. I love what I do but I didn't anticipate how difficult that would have been to break that routine of going into work. And, you know, I loved my school, my coworkers, my students, like I really was missing all of that last fall. And also I think my central nervous system was coming out of that chronic dysregulation with, you know, if you're a teacher, Wait, IYKYK, wait, IYKYK. I got it on the first time, guys. Like, yay me, go me. IYKYK, if you're a teacher, because it is just constant. And I didn't realize that being a teacher was keeping me in dysregulation. And maybe that's not for everybody, but for me, I was in a chronic state of fight or flight for many, many years. And when I took a step away, and I mean, in the summer, you start to come down from it in July and even July I used to, like, I love my summer so much, but there were parts of it that felt uncomfortable too, because you're used to such a fast pace and then coming down from that. But August, oh my gosh, August 1st, you'd start stressing. And I've talked about this before in the podcast, I think, but just getting anxious about the school year and starting to prepare. And so for me last fall, not going back in the fall, my body was primed and ready to get those <laughs> stress hormones there. It was used to those stress ho hormones circulating, even starting in August. And, you know, it was, it was looking for that baseline, um, in the fall. And 
my life wasn't, it wasn't getting the same <laughs> fight or flight, uh, activations happening. And that felt really uncomfortable. And people don't talk about that. I think I need to do a whole episode on central nervous system dysregulation, but coming out of, out of, uh, central nervous system dysregulation, uh, that is super freaking uncomfortable. It was for me anyhow, but I feel so much more at peace this fall. Of course, you know, I missed, I do miss teaching. I'll always consider myself a teacher and there is a good chance I may go back next semester. There's a part of me that is missing connecting with these teenagers, these young adults and I love being in the classroom, so I may go back, but I'm not feeling that uncomfortable feeling this fall, which is awesome because I feel like I'm seeing progress <laughs> because, and I'm not saying maybe I'm just, maybe, maybe it's going to come up here again. I don't know when kids get back into the full routine, but I don't think so. I feel really stable and just calm and at peace with not going back this fall, which is great. I actually still have my youngest daughter upstairs. I think you may have just heard, I don't know if it picked up in the background. There's some banging going on up there. She's getting everything organized for her first day of school, which is tomorrow because her school just allows the new grade sevens to come in and have an orientation day. That's what's happening with my daughter's high school today. It's just a grade tens. And so my daughter will have her first day tomorrow, which is a Friday, which is, I think, a great way to transition in, have a day and then have the, re the, the weekend to recoup. So after I finish recording this episode, we're going to head in town and get a few last minute things before tomorrow. We did go on a road trip yesterday to Moncton and I hate shopping. I literally hate shopping, but you know what? I got my energetic hygiene going. I got, <laughs> was using Reiki all day and we were there. What we left at 11 in the morning. We didn't get back till after 9 PM and I didn't feel too drained. Like I was feeling actually quite, um, you know, my energy levels were actually really good and I do credit that to energetic hygiene and using Reiki because in the past, like years ago, that would have absolutely destroyed me. Mind you, I still don't love going into a mall, just so many energy, so many people, but like putting up that energetic protection really does make a difference. Speaking of which, if you are looking to upgrade your frequency, upgrade your life, I didn't plan that, but that's a great little tagline, <laughs> upgrade your frequency, upgrade your life. Um, I would love for you to join me for Reiki level one and two training. You can start learning today. So you can sign up in the show notes. You can have immediate access to the pre-recorded modules. And someone asked me recently in a DM, like what, like how intense is this? Like, you know, is this really heavy, hard material? I have it broken down into very bite-sized lessons, like two minutes, three minutes, five minutes, seven minutes. I don't know. The longest video could be 20 minutes. I, they're very short and sweet, <laughs> uh, so that you can pick away at this content. Okay. And learn at your own time. You're, you know, at your own speed and when it's convenient to you. And so you can start learning right away. And then we will meet on Sunday, September 24th and Sunday, October 1st, and we will have the placements together. These placements are attunements. So you will be attuned to 
Reiki, okay, this life force energy, and you will be attuned to specific frequencies uh, on the second Sunday and you will receive the symbol. So you can work with different frequencies, which help support you in different areas of your life and are used for different reasons. In these live classes, we will also have healing experiences and opportunities for discussion and practice of techniques. So we really maximize the time together. And this training is so healing. It's so personally healing. You leave with a modality access to an energy that is so transformational, honestly. And it's just the number one tool in my mental health toolbox and actually for my physical health toolbox as well. So if you have any questions, please don't hesitate to reach out. There's still lots of time. You can start learning today and I would love to have you in class. If you're interested in the Reiki master training, I apologize. I keep, I don't know why I'm hesitating with this. Things have been very busy lately. Um, I just started coaching a new team and there's two practice, there's some two a days and it's just been full on with transitioning out of summer into fall. So I'm excited to sit down and really figure out how I'm going to approach this master training, but I am hoping to have it end of October into November. So just if, if you are someone who is interested in the master training, you have to have had your Reiki level one and two for six months. And it can be from any lineage. It could be Yusui. Um, but reach out to me if you have any questions, but this master training just takes abilities to the next level, but also your own personal healing to the next level. You're going to be working with more, uh, refined frequencies and the master training just literally changed the game for me. It was crazy. <laughs> That's when everything started to open up for me with my spiritual gifts. It was just crazy, 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 crazy in the best way possible. So if you have questions about that, please hit up your girl in the DMS and I will be happy to answer your questions. Okay. So we're going to get into today's episode on inner child work, inner child healing. I don't even know what I'm going to call this episode. I'm just going to see what comes through here, but we are going to be talking all about the inner child. And if you asked me last night, if I'd be talking about inner child healing today on the podcast, I would have said no, because I was going to be talking about, I was thinking I was going to start talking a bit about cycle breaking. And then this morning out of the blue, it just kind of popped into my mind, something about the inner child. And then I was drawn to pick up Dr. Nicole LaPera, the holistic psychologist, how to do the work, that book. And I opened it up and like started reading about the inner child. Side note, I keep all of my, all of my spiritual self-help books. I write in them. I don't like to lend them out to people because I keep them because, and I am always referring back to them and not that I don't, if I read a fiction book, you can have it. I never want to see it again. No offense. I actually rarely, I don't read fiction books. We've talked about this before. If I, if I read a memoir, you can have it and I don't, you know, pass it along, but I am very protective around my self-help spiritual books because I am always guided to go back to them. And I just read them in bits and pieces. If you follow my Instagram stories, you may see the same book. Like you might see a book 
that I'm reading. And then six months later, a couple of years later, the book comes up again. I'll read parts and it's like, I need, I'm guided to read a book and then put it down. It's also the ADHD brain, let's be honest here, but I feel like I take what I need, I put it on the shelf and then I'm guided back to it again. I'm always going back to certain books and I don't even remember reading any of this in the how to do the work in that book by by the holistic psychologist. And I know being honest, I didn't read her book cover to cover. I rare I, I do sometimes. Um, but like for instance, I'm reading The Bringers of the Dawn by Barbara, oh my gosh, Marcianic. I don't know if that's pronounced right. It's upstairs, but I did read that one. Um, it's all a Palladian channeling. I read that one. When did I get it? I don't know. A couple of years ago, a year ago, cover to cover. And then I picked it up recently again, and it's just blowing my freaking mind. I'm just like, oh my gosh, like how can a book written in 1992 be so freaking relevant today? And if you are a starseed and guided to read that book, like you will be guided to read that book. If you are a starseed, if you're Palladian, you'll be guided to read it. And this might be a confirmation for you. Maybe you've heard about it before and then I'm bringing it up again. That means you need to read this book. If you are a star seed, it's like mind blown. Anyhow, (laughs) I was guided back to how to do the work and just started reading about the inner child. And then I was, I'm in this other course and I was like, I'm doing a million things here, people. (laughs) My brain is needs to start focusing on one thing. But as I was reading, like, why was I doing this? I was listening to this course module and the course in, in the course module, this is nothing to do. Like it wasn't about inner child healing or anything. She started to give an example about something. It's like a business course. And she started talking about inner, the inner child and how it shows up and how it creates obstacles for us as adults, etc. As I have like how to do the work open reading the section on inner child. I'm like, okay, this is, this is what I need to be talking about today. So we'll have to talk about cycle breaking another day. So the first time I was ever really introduced to my inter inter (laughs) to my inner child, my inner child was actually through the holistic psychologist from this book. And I think she had an inner child meditation somewhere that I received, I downloaded, I don't know where I got it, but I remember doing her inner child meditation and I ended up crying. I was like, what the heck? And I've mentioned this before. I am not somebody who cried a lot. And I was just like, where are these tears coming from? Where's this emotion coming from? And I remember during the inner child meditation, I was envisioning my inner child and it took me back to a photo of myself from my first day of school in grade one, which is actually very fitting today since my, my oldest child just went off to her first day of grade 10. But I just could see like my backpack. I saw my outfit of, you know, standing on the porch of the house that I grew up in. And I remember just noticing how sad I looked and, and I saw myself then sitting down on the porch and just looking so sad. And I remember in the meditation being like, why am I so sad? (laughs) Like, what is going on here? I didn't understand why I was so sad. And that's when I started crying. And just for context, I am somebody who grew up feeling like I had the best childhood. 
the perfect parents. Okay. And so when I did this meditation, I was super confused. I was like, why is, why am I looking so sad? And why am I crying right now? And remember just kind of, I don't know. It was just really surprising, I guess, for me in that moment. And fast forward to my Reiki training. And I don't know what the time span was in between that inner child meditation and my Reiki training. But whenever I did my Reiki training, I've mentioned this before, I had a lot of emotions come up for me. It was so healing. It was so, so healing for me. And in some of the experiences and in the placements, I was brought back to my childhood. I was brought back to even my birth and I witnessed it like from this observer. I was like up above observing it. And again, I observed my parents like so much love for me and how excited they were that I was born, like just such love, such love. And then also I could feel like intense grief. And I've mentioned this, I believe before that before I was born, my parents lost a child to SIDS, sudden infant death, death syndrome. And he passed when he was three months old. And I believe he passed, he was born in February. His name is Patrick and he passed in May. And then I was born the following June. So my parents were grieving, like definitely grieving. And my mom was grieving when she was carrying me. And, you know, you can look into the research, but like that has an impact. Okay. If your parent has gone through something traumatic, like that can be passed on to you, like in the womb, like all of this, um, grief and trauma can be sensed and kind of taken on by even, you know, this child developing in the mother's womb, but also that my parents losing that child and they didn't process that grief. My mom talked about that. Like they didn't process that grief. And I I think I could have mentioned this before my mom passed, um, from stage four lung cancer. My mom never smoked in her life. And if you look at where our emotions are held, like grief is held in the lungs. And if you have unresolved grief, um, that can manifest in issues in the lungs. So I grew up believing that I had a perfect childhood, perfect parents. And I, being honest, I didn't, and I don't have a lot of childhood memories. And I thought that that was normal until I've talked to other people and realized that that's not totally normal. Okay. I was, I always get this, is it dissociated or disassociated? I think it's disassociated. I always come up with, I'm like, how do I say this? I should Google it, but you know what I mean? I think I became to feel safe in my childhood because of different experiences. And my mom got sick as well when I was in grade two and she got very sick. She had chronic fatigue syndrome, um, fibromyalgia. She had to stop. She was a teacher. She had to stop teaching when she was, when I was in grade two. So my mom was essentially sick my whole life. And if you have a parent with a chronic illness, whether it's physical or mental, um, that's going to have an impact on the family how the family runs, it's going to have an impact on the members of the family. And so I had never taken any of this into consideration. And, you know, if you read the holistic psychologist book, how to do the work, um, I mean, that definitely, I started to make some connections there. And then 
whenever I took my Reiki training, everything just started to make sense. And with Reiki training, what happens is this energy will work with every person, every student individually. And it really, Reiki energy peels back the layers. And in the training itself is just so personally healing that it will start to peel back the layers. So the layers that need to be peeled off first. So for me, it was all around my childhood. That was for, that was the first step on for me and my healing path is, and I mean, I think it is for a lot of people, but that's the first thing that had to come into my awareness around my childhood and what the dynamics were that were going on. You know, I was growing up in a house where my parents suffered a traumatic loss and my mom was chronically ill my whole life. So to think that that wouldn't have an impact on, you know, myself and my brother, like that is crazy. And again, that also, we can talk about that another time, but like that parents also parent their children differently. Okay. No two children have the same parent. Who says that? Dr. Gabor Mott. I don't even probably saying his name incorrectly, but he wrote the body keeps the score. Um, but he would say that no two parent, no two children have the same parent. So based on circumstances at that time, you know, and based on children's personalities, all sorts of different things, it affects how you show up for each child. And that's something that I had to become very aware of parenting my children. It's like, okay, am I parenting my children the same? And you know what? I catch myself not. And it's like trying to be more consistent, but like at the same time, it, it can be a good thing because certain children, you, you know, you don't want to uniformly parent your children the same either because you want to meet their specific needs. So it's like a balance of finding, I don't know, it's a balance of meeting the needs of your individual children, but also being sure that you're being fair and respectful too, and not repeating dysfunctional patterns from your own childhood. Okay. I digress. (laughs) I digress. So if you are somebody like me who grew up and you you don't have a lot of childhood memories, there's a good chance that you left your body in your childhood. Like you, your body, your physical body was there, but your mind left to keep you feeling safe because there were certain things in your childhood that were just too painful for you to be fully present for. And again, when we talk about trauma and I mean, there's lots of ideas around trauma, but I feel like we've all experienced trauma to some extent and you can't judge another person's trauma. Okay. Just like you can't, I remember when I would teach my students about stress and I taught them about, uh, the notion of appraisal. And it's like that for stress, like how someone reacts to stress is through appraisal. Like when we encounter a stressor, we immediately try to determine whether we have the necessary resources to deal with this stressor. And some people have resources for certain stressors and not for others. And so I guess the, the whole premise of this is that you can't judge someone. Like if you're like, why are they so stressed about that? It's not even a big deal. It's like, no, it's not a big deal for you because you have the resources to deal with that stressor. They don't. So it's what I'm hearing right now. What's coming through for me is it's the same with trauma. Okay. And 
it depends on a person's personality type, like how sensitive they are, all different things, like their abilities to like, something could be traumatic for me and not for you and could have like significant, like something could have a significant impact on you and how you are moving forward in your life and, and just be a little blip on the radar for me. So we can't judge, judge another person's trauma or how they reacted or different stressors. So when we're talking about the inner child, we are talking about that child version of yourself, that childlike part of yourself that we all have within us. And, you know, when you think of children or when you spend time with a child, there's so many beautiful things like how curious they are, how oftentimes they get so in the present moment, they will stop, you know, if you're walking with them and they'll crouch down and examine something in nature. I'm just imagining my daughter who's in grade 10. I imagine her as a child and remembering, I guess, her as a child and how she just would, she just could, she was so present and she was just so mesmerized by nature. It was such a beautiful thing to behold and how every, she noticed every little detail when we were together in nature. And so all of us have this child version of ourselves that, ah, that connection, we're so connected to source and the divine, you know, when we are small children and we lose that over time, you know, due to conditioning. And so we still have that part within ourselves, but many of us also have that child part of ourselves that wasn't seen, okay, that people weren't there for, that there wasn't anyone who was emotionally available for them. Um, And that part of ourselves is wounded and can act out, okay, when triggered. If you look around in today's society, it's pretty easy to notice (laughs) that there are a lot of children walking around in adult bodies. Just check out uh, any type of controversial post on Instagram. Go go straight to the comments and you will see a lot of uh, wounded inner, <laughs> inner children <laughs> just uh, having a field day in the comments. You may also notice this when you are driving and seeing people raging <laughs> if someone cuts them off or does something that they think is incorrect. The inner, the inner children love to come out, uh, when you are driving around town or on a little road trip, you can spot these wounded inner, inner children, um, fairly easily. So looking at the book, how to do the work, as I said, by Dr. Nicole, highly recommend this book. I can put it in the show notes just going to read her definition of inner child wounds. So she says that inner child wounds are the consistently unmet emotional, physical, and spiritual needs from our childhood expressed through our subconscious that continue to impact our present self. Okay. And we all have these wounds. As I said before, it would be impossible for our parents to consistently meet our emotional, physical, spiritual needs all of the time. And some have these wounds obviously to a much greater degree than others, but there are no perfect parents. Okay. So it makes sense that there are some, you know, there are some areas that may need healing from, from our childhood. 
And when we talk about this work, the inner child work, it's not to shame or blame parents. Okay. It's seeing them as being human. Okay. Because we are human too. And again, it's acknowledging our humanness. Like I catch myself in patterns that were modeled to me in my childhood and it doesn't feel good. To be honest, it does not feel good at all, but it's cultivating that conscious awareness. So you're not repeating those patterns and that's breaking the cycle, which we will talk about on another episode. Dr. Nicole goes on to say that the majority of us feel unseen, unheard, and unloved. And we carry this pain with us throughout our lives. And that has such a profound impact. Okay. And I've talked about subconscious programming before those first seven years of our lives are critical. They are crucial, crucial. They are setting down the foundation for how we are showing up today. We've talked about this, but sometimes it needs to be said more than once. (laughs) You know how I like to repeat myself, but we are operating, you know, 95 to nine. Some people say 97% from our subconscious mind every day. Like that is insane. Again, so we are as adults subconsciously, we're not consciously aware of this, but the, our beliefs, our mindset, our actions are being driven by, you know, what was happening in those first seven years of our lives. We were sponges. We were taking it all in and think back to those first seven years of your life, of your childhood. Think about what may have been going on with your parents. Okay. What were they going through hardship as a couple? Okay. Was there any, were there financial difficulties? Was anybody sick? Okay. Did somebody lose a job? Was there a divorce? Was there a traumatic event? Did someone pass away? All of these things have an impact. Okay. And all of those things, uh, shape how you are today and how you show up today. So if you are feeling very stuck, there is a good chance that you are just repeating these patterns from your childhood and it's time to do something differently. Okay. It's time to perhaps go back and identify some of these things from your childhood that may be uh, holding you back today. So I am just going to talk about the seven inner child architects. Architects, oh my gosh, Kate, words are hard today. Architects, um, sorry, I'm just picturing these seven children building some beautiful things. I don't know what I'm saying right now. Seven inner child archetypes. There we go. Um, I'm just going, these are all outlined in the, uh, how to do the work book. I hate saying how to do the workbook because it sounds like a workbook, how to do the work novel. It's not a novel. You know what I'm saying? And this is not sponsored. I just really have been profoundly impacted by the holistic psychologist's work. So I'm grateful for her work. So I'm just going to go over the archetypes or the personality types that describe our inner child states. And as she said in her book, or as she says in her book, it's likely that more than one will resonate with you. And these archetypes just show us where our inner child's needs haven't been met. Okay. Where we haven't been seen, where we haven't been heard and in the areas we haven't felt loved, you know, maybe haven't felt that unconditional love. So today I just want you to listen, maybe jot down any of these archetypes that resonate with you. And then I may come up with a little homework for you (laughs) at the end of this episode. 
So stay tuned at the end in honor of school going back. I'm going to give you some homework. Actually, don't get me started on homework. I'm very against it. That's a whole other episode. <laughs> I am very against homework. Okay. So let's get into the seven child architects. Why do I keep saying architects? Jeez. Archetypes from Dr. Nicola Paris, how to do the work. So the first one she talks about is the caretaker. And she says this one typically comes from codependent dynamics, gains a sense of identity and self-worth through neglecting their own needs, believes that the only way to receive love is to cater to others and ignore their own needs. Okay. So do you see yourself as the caretaker? Do people in your family or even your friend group, like, is that your kind of role that I'm the caretaker? And again, you may have never consciously thought about that, but look about how, like, as you're listening to these archetypes, see, I said it correctly. Like think about how you show up in your relationships. Okay. And, and what your personality is. And a lot of times what I've come to realize about myself is what I thought was my personality is actually a trauma response. Ooh, yay. Fun stuff. <laughs> fun when you figure that out, but, um, just be open to listen, uh, to uh, listen to the details about these different archetypes and see if you can see yourself in any of them and maybe write down which ones resonate with you. So the caretaker, okay. The overachiever feels seen, heard and valued through success and achievement uses external validation as a way to cope with low self-worth believes that the only way to receive love is through achievement. Okay. And I know for me that one, there's a few of these that really resonate strongly with me. Um, but the overachiever, definitely the caretaker as well. Um, but the overachiever big time resonates. And, you know, if you grew up in a family where there was an emphasis on achievement and that's where, you know, whether it's in sports or music or school, and it's like, that's when you received appreciation from your parents and that's, you know, they went to your games or they went, you know, they were, gave you so much, um, praise whenever you received an award. Okay. If that's how you received love, then from an early age, you learned that this is how I receive love. So I just need to achieve, achieve. And you probably put so much pressure on yourself to be the best or to strive. And it's so interesting when I learned about you know, the inner child and started, you know, to learn about the different archetypes in the past, I would see this so often in my students. Okay. And, and now like, it's just the things, you know, in our traditional school system, we praise those overachievers. And a lot of the times I would look at some of my students who would just have like a 97% and be bursting into tears. Like, what could I have done to get like a hundred? I'm like, this is amazing. <laughs> like, like, but I could just see the pain for them and, and oftentimes could see that this, their reaction to not being perfect and their reaction to not doing as well, it, it often showed me that there's something going on below the surface and not to say that you can't be a high achiever, like that you have, you know, it's always tied to trauma. I'm not saying that, but there is oftentimes a connection with some of these personality types and the wounding that you kind of received in your childhood. And as I said, I was that high achiever and I see that reflected in my youngest daughter and it it's, 
scary for me now because I'm like, what am I doing to like, we are always telling her like, you don't, we don't care if you fail like a class, like if you try your best and we're, we are always saying we don't, you know, care about marks. We don't care about this and that. She puts so much pressure on herself. Okay. And we have these conversations all the time, but I wonder, you know, what's going on subconsciously that she feels this need to strive. So that's where I'm, you know, I find like, as you do this work, you become so hard on yourself as a parent because it's like, oh my God, like I find it so stressful. And like, how am I contributing to her being this high achiever? Like there's something. (laughs) So you also have to, I'm learning, give yourself grace because I'll often go on walks with my husband and I'll be like talking, you know, talking about things that are going on with our children. And then I'm like just picking it apart and seeing like how I could be repeating a pattern or creating this. And he's just like, oh my God, give yourself a break here. So you gotta, you have to give yourself some grace too, because if you are a cycle breaker, you're trying to break some of these patterns. Um, just be, be grateful that you are at least consciously aware and just know that you, as a parent, you can't be perfect. Okay. You cannot be perfect. And, and maybe that's, I'm realizing right now, like, oh yeah, Kate, like you're, this is why you're struggling with this because that's that high achieve. Like I'm trying to be a perfect parent and that doesn't exist. And so whenever I make mistakes as a parent, which I make all the live long day, it kind of takes me out and I kind of go into a shame spiral because I'm like, I know better. I know better. Anyhow, if that, if that's happening to you, (laughs) I'm hearing that we, we both have to give ourselves grace and just be, I'm not appreciative, but just give ourselves a little hug and, and just say, you know what? It's great that you're even aware of this because awareness is the first step in breaking a cycle. All right. So the third inner child archetype is the underachiever. They keep themselves small, unseen, and beneath their potential due to fear of criticism or shame about failure. Takes themselves out of the emotional game before it's even played. Believes that the only way to receive love is to stay invisible. And this is so interesting. And that's not something that obviously as the overachiever um, that I can... um, connect with or relate to, but I've seen it in students so often. Okay. That underachiever. And you see that also in families. I think like I've often taught students where I'll teach the siblings, right? I'll have that opportunity to teach, you know, two children, three children, sometimes four children from a family. And you see the different roles. Like they're always, the kids are always so different, right? There's never, it's, it's, you know, sometimes, you know, you will see children exhibiting, um, you know, maybe personality traits from some of these, from the same archetypes, but oftentimes it's like, how are they even related? Right. Because they're so, so different. And what's coming through for me right now is that again, children take on different archetypes to get love in their own kind of unique ways. Like they, some, they found, they're just showing me them, a child find like in childhood having something happen where they received extra attention for something. And then that just seeing that snowball into becoming kind of part of their personality is like, okay, this they're showing me an isolated incident happening where, you know, even, and I don't know that this is one of the, I don't think it was one of the archetypes. It's not the victim. 
um, the victim archetype, but maybe that could go under one of these. We'll see. But what I'm seeing is like, and I've seen this a lot of times, people who are perpetually the victim in every aspect of their life and they want people to caretake them. They've, they've come up with this almost personality of like, I'm helpless. And they're usually super agreeable and so nice. And you know what I mean? That you want to take care of them. And that, that will connect with the next archetype, the rescue, rescuer protector. But, um, you know, a rescuer protector will gravitate to maybe a person like this who is a perpetual victim. But what I'm seeing is this, you know, this child, um, you know, maybe got hurt as a child or, you know, needed this extra attention or because of a circumstance that happened. And they realized their, you know, family, their parent, their primary caregiver, like came to their side and was so available to them emotionally that they subconsciously learned that being a victim is how they can get love. And that pattern just continues. And it's interesting. One of my daughters, when she was really little, was getting faking injuries all the time. And this daughter's very sensitive. And she was just like, this is when she was really quite young and just was getting injured all the time, injured all the time. And just like always wanted to have like uh, a tensor wrap around her leg. And like, you know what I mean? Like, you know, and always like limping and things like that. And then, and this was like, this is happening you know, before, or even maybe early in my healing journey. And so what I'm realizing now is I probably, she's very sensitive. Okay. Very empathic. I wasn't probably showing up for her the way, you know, I wasn't as emotionally available for her and maybe present for her sensitivities as she needed me to be. So I think she started to adopt these fake injuries to get that attention. And so when I started to become consciously aware of this and see my role in it, I have really made it a priority to just like hold space for her and really validate her through all of the things that would come up for her. And then over time, I just saw the, the injuries just dissipated. Like they just, those things stopped happening. Okay. And so yeah. Anyway, I, I forgot about that until doing this. It just started, it just came into my awareness again, but like, it's just recognizing these things again, conscious awareness is the key and you can, um, make changes and we can all heal, but it's just remembering again, like, and again, even, even saying that out loud, I feel shame. I feel shame because it almost makes me want to cry. Oh, why am I emotional today? <laughs> I just feel shame because I understand the impact a parent, particularly a primary caregiver and our primary caregivers tend to be our mothers. I understand the impact I have on my, my children's development. And it feels so heavy sometimes because it feels like I'm, this is how I feel is like any of the challenges my, my kids have, or like the things that they struggle with, I like tie it back to something I didn't do for them. And so that's something like I am working on is like dealing with the shame, um, of parenting them, you know, before I was on the healing path and even the shame now of like when I have slip ups and it's like, God, this is, it just feels like a lot sometimes, but it's just always important to remind yourself that it's okay to make mistakes. You know, you are going to make mistakes and, 
um, apologize for them. And even yesterday, one of my daughters, the one who's very sensitive, um, she dropped something all over the place. Like she's <laughs> not trying to be mean here, but she's very clumsy, just like her mother. I can be clumsy, banging into things, doing whatever. And like, but she's always dropping things, all these things, right? And people tend to get kind of frustrated with her sometimes. And I know I, anyway, I got, fr I'm like, oh, are you kidding me? Like all the muffins that I had baked for the road trip, she grabbed them and like the whole thing went all over, like all the muffins went all over the floor of the car. And I was just like, oh, uh, of course, like, of course. And then she got quiet. And I knew in that moment that my reaction, that that wasn't cool. Like I knew that that, I shamed her. Right. And it was not like yelling or screaming or anything. It's just like the way I reacted, like exactly like, of course, can you be a bit more careful? You know what I mean? And I knew in that moment that my words had an impact and I was thinking about it. And then she got quiet and I was going to apologize. I was still kind of thinking about it, but still also kind of sitting in my frustration about the muffins everywhere on the floor. And you know what? She started to get a little bit of tears in her eyes. And then she said, you know what? Like, I don't appreciate that when it just made a mistake. And when you react like that, it's just makes me feel really bad because everybody makes mistakes. And uh, I don't know exact her exact wording. And I just was like, I'm so sorry. You're right. And I'm like, I know you're right. Everybody makes mistakes. I make mistakes all the time. And I'm so sorry that I made you feel that way and that I was frustrated and I took it out on you. And, um, I hope you can forgive me and I'm going to try to do, I'm going to try to really work on that. And then she didn't say anything for a period of time. And then a few minutes later, she said, thanks for apologizing. And then within like a couple of minutes after that, we went back to, talking the whole trip like as if nothing like it was just like resolved and let go of because I don't know we it was acknowledged and we can move through it and you know I made a mistake as a parent but the thing that and I said to her after this I'm like I'm really proud of you for speaking up and right now I'm hearing is like this was healing for my inner child like when I was talking to her I feel like it was healing my inner child in some way because the words I was saying to her, I, it's so weird. Okay. It's weird that it's coming through right now, but like in the moment, oh my God, it's so weird that this happened. And now I'm talking, I had no intention of talking to inner child about inner child stuff today, but now it's all coming full circle for me. Cause when I was telling her this yesterday, I literally pictured myself t telling myself this as a child. Cause no one apologized. Like, I don't think my parents have ever apologized to me. Right. A lot of parents in that generation, <laughs> how many people raise your hand if your parents have ever apologized to you, depending how old you are. <laughs> um, but I, I, in that moment, I was picturing myself saying almost the words that I needed to hear as a child. And so now what I'm realizing, wow, this is so, my mind is kind of blown right now. What I'm hearing, what's coming through for me is every time you can, you can, you can heal your inner child through your own parenting now, if you have children. Okay. And by, and you know, you can obviously heal, heal your inner child without children. You can do a lot of work through journaling, but I'm hearing if you are a parent, every time you, um, become consciously aware and like 
and parent your child in the way you wish you had been parented, like that's going to be healing to your inner child. And so I said to her, you know, I'm so proud of you for, for being so brave to bring this up to me because I know it takes courage to say this to a parent and, you know, because that's scary to, you know, for a child, like for a child to say that to a parent, like I don't, I wouldn't have had the courage to say it because I would have felt like I would have been abandoned. That love would have been taken away from me. So I would never have had the courage to say, say what she did to me in that moment. And so I said, thank you for being so brave. Um, and having the courage to bring that up to me because it's really important. And I said, anytime I make you feel, you know, this way, or anytime, you know, that I say something or do something that hurts you in this way, I, I really hope you continue to tell me because I want to know, okay. I want to do better if I can. And she just kind of, you know, looked at me, didn't say too much. She said, you're welcome. And then again, we just continued on and had the, a great day. And so, yeah, anyway, I'm just kind of mind blown because I forgot about, I didn't even consider, I, I kind of forgot about that happening. And then now I understand why it's coming into my awareness because I'm hearing that these little moments with our children can bring healing to our own inner child. Okay. Sorry. So I digress. So the one, two, three, fourth <laughs> inner child archetype is the rescuer protector. And this person is ferociously attempting to rescue those around them in attempt to heal from their own vulnerability, especially in childhood. Um, view, they view others as helpless, incapable, and dependent. Um, and they derive their love and self-worth from being in a position of power. They believe that the only way to receive love is to help others by focusing on their wants and needs and helping them solve their problems. And so I see kind of some commonalities between the caretaker and the rescuer protector, although it feels like the rescuer protector, um, kind of, you know, try, does this to be in a position of power, you know, whether that's knowingly or not, probably not, probably quite subconscious, but, um, yeah, very much feeling like they want to fix everybody else's, uh, problems. And that I'm hearing right now that could lead to people being overly involved in others' lives, maybe interfering, maybe not respecting boundaries. So something to be aware of. The next archetype is the life of the party. And this person is always happy and cheerful. They're funny. Usually kind of can be the life of the party. They never show pain, weakness, or vulnerability. It's likely that this inner child was shamed for their emotional state at one point and that they believe now that the only way for them to receive love, you know, is, and to feel good is to make sure that everybody else around them is happy. So these people tend to have, you know, I, I could see aspects of myself throughout my life in that, um, not so much anymore. Um, but just, I remember my prince, one of my former principals said to me, you know, Oh, I, I always thought you were, I, I don't know if I expressed something about, we had a deeper conversation about mental health or something one day, or I said something to her that she kind of looked at me and she said, Oh, I thought everything was water off a duck's back for you because at school I always gave the impression that I was just like happy go lucky all of the time 
when below the surface, that was definitely not the case. It's like, oh, I'm just so easy breezy. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> definitely not. But you see these people and you see these, you know, people within the family, their role is they're the funny one in the family making everybody laugh. Okay. And maybe they, you know, their parents were going through stressful times and they were the breath of fresh air in the family that helped to lessen the stress. And they realized like, okay, this is where I get my attention is because people want me around and give me attention because I'm making them laugh. I'm making them feel good. But the problem is, is these people are probably really disconnected from their own experiences and their own pain. And it's like, they're sweeping it under the rug because they're just want to make things okay for everybody else. And, you know, sometimes they get labeled as like, oh, they're so optimistic and they're always, you know, so good natured. And it's like, okay, maybe, but maybe these people are also, you know, carrying like so much below the surface that nobody can see. Okay. The next archetype is the yes person drops everything and neglects all needs in the service of others was likely modeled self-sacrifice in childhood and engaged in deep codependency patterns, much as the caretaker did, believes that the only way to receive love is to be both good and selfless. Okay. And I definitely identify with that. Like I had so many issues setting boundaries before I went on the healing path. And when I started to set boundaries, oh, there's a lot of people in my life that didn't like that <laughs> a lot. And I lost relationships and um, because I was showing up as, you know, that's why certain people were attracted to me because I had no boundaries. I would always say yes. And so when I started healing and started to say no and set some boundaries, um, some people acted very negatively to that. And, and that was very hard, very hard. Um, and relationships ended and that's part of the healing path. And that's a whole other episode. But as you're listening to the archetypes, it's just so important to see where you may land. Like, are you always the yes person? Do you have difficulty saying no? You don't want to let people down. But if you don't want to let people down, so you're always saying yes to them, there's a good chance that that means you're saying no to yourself. Okay. You're letting yourself down. Okay. You may pride yourself in always being there for others, but it's often at your own expense. And sometimes that's a harsh realization for some people. And, and some people don't want to see themselves in these archetypes because it feels very painful. And as I said, a lot of people are resistant to even acknowledging that they have inner child wounds. Like I said, I didn't have a lot of childhood memories. So I, in my mind, created almost an idealized childhood that I had a perfect childhood. I created, it's almost like because I disassociated then I created new kind of memories or new ideas about how my childhood probably was. And it wasn't until my Reiki training that it was revealed to me that, oh, okay, this is why you are the way you are today. Like taken back to parts of my childhood and then, you know, connecting these dots that all made sense, you know, looking at the stresses my family unit had gone through and the traumas and like had the impact that would have on a child. But again, many of us, when we do look back on our childhoods, a lot of us romanticize our childhoods and we're looking at it from, with that adult perspective and, and looking at the events and even certain events might not seem traumatic with your, from your adult perspective, but 
realizing that your brains aren't fully formed as children and like the impact of certain incidents can have just a profound effect on a child and how they show up in the world and what they think about themselves and how they behave and all of the things. So it's important to look back on your childhood and be curious and be open to information that comes to you about your childhood, maybe through meditation, maybe through a Reiki training or some other healing that you're doing. Because you, if you are serious about being on the healing path and about healing your inner child and you're setting that intention, information will come to you. Okay. It will be revealed to you in a meditation, in a Reiki healing experience. A book is going to come into your awareness that you need to read. Okay. There will be clues. If you set that intention that you want to work on this area and you're open to receive the guidance, the guidance is available to you. But you, if you today feel like, Oh, I don't know where to start. Just set that intention today. I am open to healing information about my childhood. I am open to healing my inner child. Show me the way. Set that intention and see what happens moving forward. Okay, the last inner child archetype is the hero worshiper. This person needs to have a person or a guru to follow. And this likely emerges from an inner child wound wound made by a caretaker who was perceived as superhuman without faults and believes that the only way to receive love is to reject their own needs and desires and view others as a model to learn how to live. Okay, so do you see yourself in this archetype that maybe you had a parent that you just put up on a pedestal and believed that they were perfect, okay? And they had no flaws. You see them as superhuman. And you, you hear this often, people, or you see this often of people putting their parents on a pedestal or particularly one parent on a pedestal. And so if, if that's what you have done, there is a good chance that you are doing the same thing as an adult now. Okay. That you have this guru that you, you know, just everything they say, you know, you want to go by, you know, do exactly what you want somebody to tell you what to do. And you are emulating them and all the things. And of course it's have, it's, it's wonderful to have people who inspire you and who motivate you in different ways. But when you put somebody else on a pedestal and you prioritize almost not prioritize their experience, but you almost value their opinion, their intuition, value their beliefs almost more so than your own or you, or their beliefs become your beliefs, then that can become a problem. Okay. It's, you need, this is about learning to connect with yourself and trust yourself and your own guidance. And again, It is wonderful. I've had so many wonderful mentors and teachers on the spiritual path who I value, but, and and I, you know what, I'm even seeing myself, I have kind of put some people on a pedestal and that's not fair to them, right? They're, they're only human. They're not perfect because when you put someone on a pedestal, the only really direction they can go is down, you know, they can fall from that pedestal. So it's not really fair to the person either. Just you can take the teachings from other people, be inspired and motivated, but ultimately you are your own best healer. You are your own guru. So putting other people on a pedestal that you, you know, are trying to emulate all the time and disregarding your own 
intuition, guidance, etc. that is not healthy. But that can happen if you did that in your childhood with a parent or, you know, someone within your family. Okay, well, I think I have <laughs> talked for over an hour here, so it's time to wrap things up. I am going to put in the show notes a, an inner child meditation. I haven't recorded it yet. I channeled it through the Akashic Records a number of years ago, and I used it during a breathwork training, but I'm going to infuse it with Reiki, I think, and record it and put it in the show notes for you. And that will enable you to connect with your inner child today in this meditation. And, you know, you can use this if you've already done an inner child meditation before, you've already been doing inner child work. This is still going to be supportive. I'm going to use different frequencies to help um, support uh, a deepening of your inner child work. And this will also be a wonderful meditation to do if it's your first time uh, connecting with your inner child, your first time doing any, any sort of work with your inner child. So I will put that in the show notes and I hope that it is supportive to you. And, oh, your homework today. I forgot that there's homework. <laughs> so your homework is, you know what? Part of your homework can be to listen to this meditation and then just journal about what, what came up for you after you did this meditation. Like describe your inner child and I'll walk you through that. Um, did any memories come up for you or any realizations or aha moments? Like what was the emotional state of your inner child? And also just to journal on the different archetypes, like where, where did you see yourself in these seven inner child archetypes? Did you see yourself as the caretaker? Okay. Taking care of everybody else's needs and ignoring your own, the overachiever where you're always striving, okay. To get attention and validation, the underachiever where you, you try to make yourself small and be invisible. Okay. And you received uh, love for, you know, due to circumstances from your childhood, from staying small and that, that idea or belief was reinforced or the rescuer or protector where you kind of see other people as helpless and you want to come in and, you know, be in a powerful position where you're rescuing them or the life of the party. You're the funny person, the lighthearted person who brings everybody's mood up or the yes person. You cannot say no. You are always prioritizing other people's needs kind of ahead of your own. And you, you are afraid to say no. You're very selfless or the hero worshiper. Okay. The person who always puts, you know, a person or some people up on a pedestal and looks to them for guidance and ignoring their own inner guidance. And the one I'm adding in there is the victim, the perpetual victim. And that might go with a couple of them, but I feel like to the victim, if you are the perpetual victim, then the, you may find yourself in a lot of relationships with people who embody the rescuer, protector archetype. So the person who has, shows up, the victim, who the sorry, the victim archetype is the person who shows up, kind of as helpless, and is always having people kind of stepping in to rescue them. So kind of journal on that. Um, feel free to message me if you've had any realizations. I always love hearing feedback from these episodes. I love when listeners reach out, but yeah, just take some time to contemplate, to observe and spend some time connecting with your inner child. 
All right. Well, I hope you have an amazing rest of your day and I will see you here. Same ish time. I always mess this up. Same place, (laughs) same place, same ish time next week. Okay. Have a good one. Bye.